Welcome back to another episode of the Chronic Fatigue and Burnout Recovery Podcast. In this episode today, I'm going to be talking about endotoxemia. And if you have no idea what endotoxemia is, that's absolutely okay. That's why this podcast is being recorded to help you understand a little bit more about it and also consider if it is a fact in your own journey or a factor you would like to rule in or rule out in your own journey. If you listened to the previous episode I recorded on malabsorption syndromes, you probably heard me say that I'm diving a little bit more into the realms of digestive health. It is a topic that I have kind of skirted around for a while, given how many episodes of this podcast have already been created. And I yeah, I'm now diving into digestive health bit by bit in a little bit more detail. And endotoxemia is relating to the concept of leaky gut, or leaky gut can be a part of endotoxemia. So if you're familiar with the term leaky gut, we'll be touching on that a little bit more in this episode. And we'll also be talking a little bit more about approaches to support the gut in general. So even if you don't think endotoxemia is an issue for you, or even if you're, you don't think you have any digestive issues, it's still worth listening to this podcast just to get a little bit more insight and understanding. So where I'll begin is I will talk a little bit about what is endotoxemia. Let me just answer that question for you instead of waffling on and using the terminology. So endotoxemia is a condition which is characterized by the presence of endotoxins known as lipopolysaccharides, which we abbreviate as LPS for reasons which are understandable in the bloodstream. So we've got basically these toxins, which are lipopolysaccharides, which are able to get into the bloodstream. But what are endotoxins? Endotoxins are components of bacteria membranes, specifically bacteria known as gram-negative bacteria. And under certain situations, for example, intestinal permeability, these endotoxins, the toxins which come from the outer membrane of gram-negative bacteria, can be released into the bloodstream. And that's usually when these bacterial cells are damaged or destroyed, or if there's some sort of infection or even a medical procedure could perhaps disturb these bacteria and their outer membranes and cause the production of these toxins. Endotoxins are one of the reasons why people can feel worse when they do gut protocols. Depending on where you are in your journey, maybe you have done some parasite cleanse or you've taken some herbs or you've taken some sort of antimicrobial approach to supporting your digestion. And maybe because I see this very often in many of my clients, that makes you feel worse before it makes you feel better. And one of the reasons for that is because you're essentially killing these bacteria which have these endotoxins and you become more toxic in the process and the degree of that toxicity could be impacted by the degree of the permeability in your gut which I'm going to talk about in a moment but this is just at least an understanding of these endotoxins and the things that can create them and cause increased production of them in a in the gut 
if these endotoxins can pass through into the bloodstream, they can then bind to immune receptors, which are known as toll-like receptors. And this is pretty significant because when these endotoxins in the form of LPS bind to these immune toll-like receptors, they trigger a body-wide systemic immune response and basically just turn on inflammation throughout the entire body, which is pretty significant. And Basically, we see an increase in what are known as inflammatory cytokines, so inflammatory immune molecules, and this response spreads across the body, and it can escalate inflammatory symptoms that are already there. And in extreme cases, this is what causes septic shock. In extreme cases of endotoxemia, somebody may have fever, they may have chills, they may have a rapid heart rate, their blood pressure can drop really low, they can experience confusion and signs of systemic inflammation. And obviously in the case of septic shock and experiencing these symptoms, this is when you need to go to A&E. Someone displaying these symptoms must seek medical advice to prevent the septic shock and associated complications. However, in the context of this podcast, where we're talking about more subtle signs and chronic illness, not acute illness, we are more concerned with subtle symptoms of endotoxemia. So subtle symptoms of endotoxemia could be things like chronic pain, chronic constipation, mood and appetite disorders, low mood or depression, cognitive decline symptoms, anxiety, chronic fatigue, obviously, brain fog, autoimmunity, Parkinson's disease, inflammation in the liver, inflammatory obesity, insulin resistance, and neuroinflammation in general and the associated cognitive symptoms. Probably for many of you, there's at least one symptom, if not a handful of symptoms on this list that you can identify with. And that doesn't mean that if you identify with symptoms on this list, you have endotoxemia. In my own journey, I had some chronic pain in specific areas of my body. I had brain fog, I had chronic fatigue. I would say those would be like the top three things from this list. I didn't have endotoxemia. It was something that I screened myself for because I was concerned about it. But when I tested myself for endotoxemia, I came back with a sort of clean bill of health, so to speak. So just because you resonate with these symptoms and you're listening to this podcast, it doesn't mean you need to panic and think that you have endotoxemia. But it may be worth considering for some people to speak with their current practitioner about or to work with a practitioner like myself or the new member of my team, Francesca, who can have a deeper conversation about whether or not this should be a concern for you and, and how you can test for it if that's something you're wanting to do. But where I'd like to go now before I talk a little bit about testing is to talk about intestinal permeability. So Intestinal permeability is often referred to more colloquially as the term leaky gut or leaky gut syndrome, and it really describes the state in which the intestinal lining is more permeable than normal. The name kind of gives it away, intestinal permeability. So we can have a more permeable gut lining due to many different things, usually some sort of inflammatory event in the gut, which 
impacts the gut cell walls. And so if you think of um, the gut as made up of a whole bunch of cells, which are all just lined together, creating the gut lining. And the gut lining is only one layer of cells thick. And these cells should sit closely packed, like one cell next to the other cell, next to the other cell, next to the other cell. And then there are membrane proteins or tight junction proteins, which we call them, which help to kind of keep all these cells nice and tightly packed. And we need a certain degree of permeability in the gut membrane because we need to absorb things, food and nutrients. But when we have excessive permeability in the gut membrane, these junctions between cells can be wider than what they should be. And then that allows for the translocation of things into the bloodstream. In the case of endotoxemia, we're looking at the translocation of LPS into the bloodstream. And that's what we would call paracellular intestinal permeability. Things are moving or getting into the bloodstream by moving between the cells where the tight junctions are not as efficient, perhaps due to an inflammatory event. We also get transcellular permeability, which is permeability through the cells. Now, what we would usually see if there's permeability through the cells, that's usually when there has been a significant amount of cellular damage, where the cells are actually breaking down, being destroyed. It's not just the gaps between the cells or the tight junction proteins that are being affected. It's the cells itself. And this type of permeability is usually observed in autoimmune conditions more specifically celiac disease, where the consumption of gluten causes destruction to the actual cells of the intestinal lining, and this intense inflammatory reaction causes the cells to become destroyed, and then that's going to have a huge impact on the permeability of the gut, which will allow for a greater translocation of endotoxins into the bloodstream, but it also means when there's a significant amount of damage there, it's going to take a lot more work to address and fix. So just to kind of wrap that conversation up is when we're looking at intestinal permeability, we're looking at the permeability of the gut membrane. And we have two types. We have transcellular, which is permeability through cells, which is the most destructive. Or we have paracellular, which is the permeability between cells when the tight junction proteins between cells get destroyed and then things can pass through. Neither is ideal in the context of health, but if you know that you've got paracellular versus transcellular, it can be helpful just in terms of understanding the extent to which you may need to go or the prognosis in terms of addressing the intestinal permeability. So now that you understand a little bit about what endotoxemia is and what intestinal permeability is, the next question you might be thinking is, resonate with a lot of these symptoms. Is this something that is a problem for me? And the good news is there's a test for it. And I appreciate that tests can be expensive. Often when you're working on your fatigue recovery journey, you're, you're doing several tests and those costs can really add up. But you know, just speaking from my own personal experience when it comes to testing is in the earlier stages of my journey, I had a lot of resistance to testing just from a financial perspective. And 
I think I was just trying to save as much money as possible. And there was a lot of fear associated with spending money on my health. I actually had the money. It was in savings. But I had like I need I felt like I needed that money there as a security blanket to keep me safe when what I actually really needed to do was spend the money on getting the answers I needed to get well faster. And that would have created more safety and security in the long term. So anyway, I just share that because I appreciate the expense of all these tests and some people just don't have the means to pay for them. But if you do have the means to pay for testing and it helps to rule things in or out, provided you're not just shooting in the dark and doing random tests without any, you know, thorough case workup informing those test decisions, it can really be helpful to rule things in and rule things out, know what you're working with and really mold the path forward for you. So the test that you can use specifically is the Cyrex Array 2 test. It's a blood test. So you need to order that through an appropriately trained practitioner like myself or Francesca. And um, you would need to organize a blood draw and the blood does need to be spun. So that's called centrifuging. And then it needs to be shipped, I think, needs to be shipped to the US. So the cost of the test is $267. It is a US-based lab, so all the, the testing is in dollars. But it will tell you whether or not you have the paracellular or transcellular permeability or both. And it will also tell you if you have LPS in your bloodstream. Obviously, the ideal scenario is not to have any intestinal permeability, whether that's transcellular or paracellular, neither of which, you know, is ideal. And then obviously you don't want to have any LPS. But if you have a combination of LPS and some form of membrane permeability, that would be transcellular or paracellular then you have endotoxemia. And when somebody presents with endotoxemia, because those endotoxins are binding to the immune receptors, the toll-like receptors in the gut, and causing a system-wide inflammation, amplifying autoimmunity, if that is something which is a concern to you, this is clinical priority. We need to get the tight junctions or we need to get the gut membrane to a healthy state again so it's no longer permeable and we need to get rid of the bacteria that is producing the endotoxins and probably that's going to be a really really big part in helping you feel better so if you had a positive result on this test or Talking about testing and the means to test, even if you didn't test, but you really felt like it's very strongly and intuitively like this is something you have to work on, then what we want to do is get those tight junctions of the gut sealed up nicely again. So we're restoring good membrane health. And then we need to address the balance of bacteria in the gut to reduce the LPS production because that LPS production is coming from gram-negative bacteria, which are different to the healthy microbes that we should have in our gut. They're additional bacteria that shouldn't necessarily be there or can be there in small amounts, but are problematic when they overgrow. So those sound like two very simple things. Get rid of the bacteria, sort out the membrane. But as with most things in chronic illness, much easier said than done. So 
I'll just touch on the factors influencing membrane permeability. So things that will impact your gut membrane. And that would obviously be diet, alcohol, consumption of gluten and dairy, especially if you're someone who's sensitive or reactive to those foods, consumption of processed foods, excess consumption of sugar and fast foods. Stress is a big one. So we want to be doing everything we can to support the nervous system. Infections in the gut, whether that is an H. pylori infection, bacterial overgrowth, intestinal viruses or parasitic infections or even yeast overgrowths as well, we need to deal with any excess infections in the gut because they are producing the, the bacterial toxins which are pro-inflammatory. Blood sugar imbalances, so this is a really interesting one, is that when we have insulin surges, this impacts the permeability of the gut. So you cannot address your endotoxemia until you have addressed your blood sugar, because we need to be having balanced insulin responses to meals. And something I talk about all the time is the importance of blood sugar balance. I feel like sometimes people just don't want to believe me that it's important and they just want to continue eating the same foods or eating foods which badly affect their blood sugar levels. But this is a really good reason to balance your blood sugar because when you're having insulin surges, it's affecting membrane permeability. The next thing is obviously addressing any oxidative stress, especially intestinal inflammation, whether that is inflammation coming from infections, inflammation coming from food, or just generally like inflammation perhaps coming from some sort of autoimmune condition in the gut, whether that is celiac disease, ulcerative colitis, or um, Crohn's disease. Hormone balances can affect membrane permeability, so that could be hypothyroid, it could be female hormone imbalance, imbalances, progesterone, estrogen, testosterone. So if you're a woman who's perhaps transitioning through perimenopause, we really want to be thinking about how we support the hormones, which is something that Francesca does really, really well. We've got poor blood flow and oxygenation. If you have sleep apnea, if you've got asthma, if you've got anemia, these things affect the gut. So we need to make sure that your body is oxygenating well. We need to think about what's triggering your asthma. Why are you anemic? Address those things as part of helping to support a healthy gut membrane. There's also medications. Medications can be life-saving in some cases, and sometimes we need to take medications in the short term. But when someone is chronically on steroids or chronically on antibiotics or chronically on antacids or other types of medications, that's going to impact membrane permeability. And then if there's any brain injury, so if there's you know, been a concussion or a head trauma or someone's had a stroke or someone's just experiencing neurodegeneration, all of these things will also have an impact on the gut because of the gut-brain connection. And we need to think about how we support the brain as much as possible as we address membrane permeability. So this is why we need a personalized approach to fatigue recovery, because one person may just need to cut off gluten, balance their blood sugar, 
and that's enough to support a healthy gut membrane. Someone else may need to go on a ketogenic diet to support their brain injury, do some brain exercises to support their brain. Maybe they have autoimmunity, which is causing a lot of oxidative stress, and we need to get that under control. And they're anemic, and we have to address those things. So you can see like two different people, but two completely different strategies, all working towards supporting the same mechanism, which is membrane permeability. And this is why we need to look at each person as an individual and do a thorough review of every case so we know the unique strategy that each person needs to support their body with their unique set of circumstances. In terms of supplements, we can also support membrane permeability with supplementation. But if you're diabetic or anemic or you have hormone imbalances or brain injury, we need to be addressing those root causes as well. So supplements which are supportive of intestinal permeability include short-chain fatty acids. I usually just recommend a butyrate to supplement to most of my clients. L-glutamine, which is an amino acid. Vitamin D is really important, probiotics, marshmallow extract, slippery elm, DGL, or even just making your own bone broths that can be very restorative for the gut as well. So those are some factors that we want to consider when we think about supporting intestinal permeability. And hopefully you can see is that it's easier said than done. There's a lot of different things that we need to review and prioritize so that we can get those tight junctions to heal. The next step is also addressing the microbes in the gut that are producing the toxins, which are then translocating into the bloodstream. Endotoxemia is addressed by addressing the overall balance of the gut. And some of the things we might take for intestinal permeability, like, for example, the short-chain fatty acids or the probiotics, they can help with the bacterial balance. But each person is an individual, and each person may need a slightly different approach so that they are able to balance their unique gut situation. So when we're looking at digestive health as a whole, how I like to look at it is from the top down. So with the top being the brain, and then we go from the brain into the mouth, and then from the mouth we swallow, and then from swallowing the food goes into the stomach, from the stomach food moves into the small intestine, then we have the gallbladder which is producing bile and reabsorbing bile, and then we have finally the colon. So if we're trying to address a bacterial overgrowth, which is in the small intestine or maybe in the colon, then we're not addressing the brain and there's some neuroinflammation, which is affecting the gut-brain axis, that's going to be a problem. Or if someone's not chewing their food properly and they're rushing their meals and they have a whole bunch of undigested food fermenting in their gut-feeding bacteria, then that's going to be an issue. If somebody has problems swallowing, that can be you know, a sign maybe of some neurodegeneration or some issues with vagal tone, which we want to address. If there's poor stomach acid, that can be a problem because 
the acidity of the stomach influences the intestinal pH. And if there's low stomach acid, we have a higher intestinal pH, which means bacteria can thrive in the small intestine. Then you can take all the herbs you like to clear that bacteria, but it may just come back again if we don't address the acidity of the stomach higher up. Then once we move down into the small intestine, we need to make sure that you know, there's no injury to the small intestine, there's no celiac disease or gluten sensitivity or damage to the brush border. We need to make sure that there's adequate enzyme production, that there's no malabsorption syndromes, which I talked about in the previous episode. And again, in the previous episode, I talked about the ins and outs of gallbladder function. And then in the colon, we also want to make sure there's a good balance of bacteria so there's not unhelpful bacteria, which is also moving upwards into the small intestine if there's any issues there. So it's not really as simple as just take some herbs for the bacteria, that we do want to take some herbs for the bacteria, but we also want to make sure that the brain is working, that there's chewing happening, that stomach acid is good, that there's enzyme production which is good, there's no malabsorption syndromes, that the gallbladder is working well and the colon is nicely balanced as well. Once we've done all of that, then we can add in nutraceuticals for bacteria in the intestines, which is creating LPS and the endotoxemia. And there's kind of different ways that we can approach it, but I really like to add in mucosal support. So essentially things for the gut mucosa, the mucosal membrane, the immune membrane of the gut. And that's nutrients like A, D, E, and K, essential fatty acids, L-glutamine, glutathione, DGL. We also might want to add in some biofilm disruptors. So biofilms being like a polysaccharide layer that bacteria and parasites and yeast and fungi can sort of hide under, almost like they, they have their own little colony, which is protected by this biofilm layer. And unless we break down the biofilm, we can't actually access these things with the herbs to remove and kill them off. So here we can use things like NAC, natokinase, ginger, curcumin, those types of things. And then just your antiparasitics, your antibacterial herbs, so things like barberry, which is berberine, oregano, golden seal, wormwood, black walnut, olive leaf, garlic. There's multiple different things. And just using something which is broad spectrum and got a whole bunch of these things and can um, really do the job because you're hitting things from multiple different angles. And of course, this all needs to be done on the foundation of a personalized diet, a diet which has got whole foods in it, a diet which balances blood sugar, and remembering all those other variables relating to the intestinal membrane health, which also need to be factored into the whole support plan. So sometimes with clients, this is where I start. I start them with, we're not going to get anywhere until we can get your gut sorted. So this is where we may begin. But with other people, I may just be working on their blood sugar, or may just be working on oxygenation and anemia or their sleep, or there's so many different routes that we can take when we work on fatigue recovery because every client is different and there's so many different mechanisms involved. But I hope you have enjoyed learning a little bit about endotoxemia and intestinal permeability today. I'll also just finish by saying is that sometimes we have what we would call unresponsive cases. These are people who maybe for whatever reason will have chronic intestinal permeability. 
which means you're doing like everything possible to get the gut to heal and it's just not healing for whatever reason. And that might be if someone has significant autoimmunity, if there's been significant damage to the microvilli of the small intestine, maybe there's neurodegeneration, which is already there, and you're just trying to prevent further degeneration of the gut plexus and the enteric nervous system. So if that's the case, if someone does have permanent permeability of the gut membrane, then we just have to work on the endotoxemia piece. We just have to make sure that the gut is super nicely balanced for the rest of that person's life so that even if the membranes are permeable, we're not getting as much toxicity from the LPS moving into the bloodstream. And um, I think this is where it's really important just to understand the prognosis of your case, like what is actually going on with you and what can be achieved given what's going on with you and just doing everything possible and giving it your best shot to find the most amount of health and well-being and quality of life that you can. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you are interested in some more support in your fatigue recovery journey, I am pleased to report, at least at this stage of recording the podcast, that we do have applications open for one-to-one work. I have been very busy since about June, July time, enrolling many, many clients, and it got to the point where I wasn't actually able to keep up with the demand of inquiries that were coming in. So I made the scary and also exciting decision to welcome another practitioner into my team, which is Francesca Leparati. She have had her on the show before talking about perimenopause and fatigue recovery. And I decided that I would spend between now and the end of the year working with her to take on new clients and support her in the process of taking on new clients so that we basically can take on more people and help more people. Applications are open to work with Francesca and just to say as well that when you work with Francesca know that you're also working with me and even though all your consultations and communications will be with Francesca I'll be there in the background reviewing you know, all your case information, reviewing your test results, having conversations with Francesca about your case and approving the decisions that we make in terms of how to move forward. If you are looking for support in your fatigue recovery journey, you can just head over to my website and find the intake application for applying to work with her. You can have a preliminary chat. So it's just a chat to get to know each other a little bit better. She'll probably have more questions to ask you. You'll probably have more questions to ask her. And then you can make a decision about how you would like to move forward. I will wrap up there today. It has been wonderful sharing with you as always, and I will see you in the next episode.